Hi, my name's Grant Fishbook, and I am honored to be the lead teaching pastor here at Christ the King Church in Bellingham, Washington. Thank you so much for choosing to access this online content today. We really hope you'll enjoy this message. One of our values here at Christ the King is biblical face-to-face -face community. And so while we are so excited that you joined us today online, I really want to encourage you. Make sure that this is never a replacement for face-to-face -face biblical community. Your story matters, you matter, and we want to see you get connected in a local church. Now, if you're here in our area, we would love to have you join us at any one of our five campuses. But if you find yourself outside of the Bellingham area, we really want you to get connected into a local church. So we hope and pray that that happens for you very, very soon. So the Bible says in Isaiah 56, verse 7, that my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. So tonight we're going to sing to Jesus and we're going to pray for New Zealand. We're going to pray for Christ Church, the city. We're going to pray for the people that are there. We're going to pray against fear and we're going to pray as biblically as we possibly can, knowing that God can hear everything that we're about to say. So I'm going to invite the people of God to join me as we pray together God, your word says, hate what is evil and cling to what is good. Your word says, in all things, choose compassion and love. Your word says, weep with those who weep and mourn with those who mourn, so that is what we do. Your word says, bless and do not curse. Your word says, pray without ceasing, so we pray your hope and your help over Christchurch, over New Zealand, and all those involved. God, we pray in the face of unbelievable evil that followers of Jesus would rise up and be obedient to the second greatest commandment, to love their neighbors as themselves. God, have mercy. Hear our prayer. Intervene and somehow miraculously transform what is evil into something beautiful and good. Hear our prayer. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to stay on the other side of the world for just a little bit tonight. March is Missions Month here at Christ the King Church. It's an opportunity for us those of us who've been blessed to be a blessing on the other side of the world. Last year, you responded in ways that uh, defied the imagination for us. You gave exceedingly abundantly above all we could have asked or even imagined. And now we're back again this year saying we're going to have an opportunity to change the world again. I'd like to show you a picture of the Mission Center in Catania, Sicily, a place where, uh, where it appears to be just a small concrete area. But I'll tell you what it could be if the people of Christ the King rose up. It could be a safe place where the children of refugees who fled into Sicily thinking they're on their way to Europe could actually be protected. While Laurel and I were there one year ago, we saw children being bought and sold on street corners. We saw human trafficking happening around every corner. 
And this place is behind a wall where they could be safe and secure, where the children of refugees could come, hear about Jesus, and have a safe place to play. I think that sounds like the right thing to do. I'd also like to show you another place. This is uh, one of the rooms in an ambulatory center. I know it looks unbelievably crude by our standards, but it's a place that brings hope and help to refugees to bring basic medical care because God is in the midst of transforming them, not just into people who come with all kinds of health issues into healthy people, but they're also transforming people from refugees into missionaries because this church in Sicily believes if they can meet Jesus while they're with them for however long that they're there, that when they leave to wherever it is that God takes them, that they'll be able to take Jesus with them. There's a word for that. It's called missionaries. And it's our opportunity to turn that place into a fully functioning ambulatory center. They're almost there. They don't need a lot of help. They just need a little help from some people on the other side of the world. Not only are we helping the mission center in Sicily, we're also helping uh, our good friends in Thailand who last year exceeded all of our expectations. Instead of planting 250 churches by the end of 2019, they planted 268 churches by the end of 2018, an entire year ahead of schedule. Uh, We would never be able to pull that off. I think that's amazing. I'd like to introduce you to my friend. This is Pastor Tsamsalk. He is an amazing human being and he's leading this movement all by himself over there. But he has a wonderful team. In fact, I'd like to show them to you. This is his family. Um, and the young man on your far left over there, his name is Luke. We're hoping Luke will be with us here in April along with Dwight Martin, one of the missionaries. Luke is a phenomenal young man. And I'm hoping if his schedule works out, I'm just going to hand him a microphone and turn him loose on you people. You will never be the same. Um, I'd like to show you one of the house churches that you planted last year. It's an actual house. I mean, I know that kind of defies our expectation. We think this is church. They just do it in homes and living rooms, in the back of motorcycle mechanic shops. Um, This is one of the churches you can see in there. there, there's There's like 40 to 50 people inside of that house church. They multiplied that 268 times. Uh, You not only planted house churches on the other side of the world, you also did this. You were part of a Bible translation. This is Leah Syracule, who's a wonderful sister in Christ. You gave so much last year, we were also able to send $40,000 to the other side of the world to help with a Bible translation project. This is Leah handing out Bibles that you helped purchase and translate. We were able to put a life application Bible into the hands of all of the church leaders in these new churches. I mean, and that was revolutionary for them. And the fruit of that, the church planting in the Bibles was exhibited in this. I'm going to show you another picture. Um, This is the largest baptism in Thailand's history. And it happened in the province where you planted 268 churches and gave away $40,000 worth of Bibles. I want you to wrap your head around that, people. The largest public baptism in Thailand's history. So these are not just little blue envelopes. These are an opportunity to be a miracle on the other side of the world. This is for above and beyond giving. It's not between me and you. It's between you and Jesus. My prayer is that those who've been blessed would be a blessing once again. And we'll see where it goes. We'll see where it goes. We have no idea. The only promise I'll make you is anything that goes in these blue envelopes, every single dime will go to the other side of the world. We're not keeping any of it here because our brothers and sisters need it. So I hope and pray that you'll respond and uh, thankful for your generosity one more time. All right. Welcome to week three of Entrusted. I know this is going to be a shock to some of you, but it's true. Sometimes married people fight. I know, shocking, right? 
One of the worst fights that Laurel and I ever had was over a basketball hoop. She wanted to buy a basketball hoop for our son, Braden, who at the time was eight or nine years old. We got to the store. The basketball hoop was more expensive than I thought it was going to be. So I started arguing with Laurel as to whether or not we should actually buy our kid a basketball hoop. The basis of my argument boiled down to this. I know you're going to be shocked at the mature nature of my argument. But basically, I said, I didn't have a basketball hoop growing up, and I turned out just fine. And this is what I discovered about myself. I'm cheap. I prefer the word frugal, but in this instance, it was just plain cheap. I don't like to spend my money even on really, really good things. And I also learned something else about myself in that moment. In that moment of my life, I was the least like my heavenly father. Because I put my wallet ahead of blessing my kid. But I don't think I'm the only one who struggles with this kind of stuff. I don't think so. I don't think it's natural for any of us to actually be generous. Even though some of us like to give, here's what I see happen. When there's a crisis, we tend to grab what's ours and hold on for dear life. We think there's somehow security and stability in money, so we hold on to it and we stress over top of it. If you don't believe me, the USA Today polled people again last week about their number one source of stress. Then the number one answer is money or the lack of it. Money is our number one stressor. How do we know that? Because we fight for it and we fight over it. We try to keep it under control. We load ourselves down with debt. We try to budget and plan, but the tyranny of the urgent comes and it just keeps pushing us deeper and deeper and deeper into red ink. I don't know if you saw the, Watka or the Bellingham Herald this past week, but it talked about the fact that the number one growth area in our county is in the area of personal loans and debt. You know why you take out a personal loan? It's because you've maxed out all of your credit cards. You need to consolidate that debt. And so you go and find another loan in order to help you try and survive. It's happening right here. And the sad thing is the followers of Jesus are not immune or better at handling this topic than anybody else. Do you remember the statistic from last week? A thousand followers of Jesus were polled. Eight percent said they were following a biblical financial plan. Seven percent said that they believed Jesus would describe them as generous. And those are the people that are supposed to know the verses, right? Philippians 4.19, my God will supply all of your needs according to the riches of his glory in Christ Jesus. I mean, we've got that promise. We should be the ones who are the most relaxed about this, but we're just wound up tighter than a knot. Some of you are already offended over the fact that why is my pastor preaching about money? So I'd like to share with you a financial crisis from scripture. I love this story. There's a woman in a faith community and her godly husband has died. She's in a real crisis. There's in many real life moments of death, there was outstanding debt and people came looking to get their money back. In this ancient culture, debt could be forcibly replayed through slavery. It wasn't right, but it was real. So what does the lady do? She goes to her faith community and she makes an appeal. Let me read to you 2 Kings chapter 4. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha. Elisha's the local pastor. Your servant, my husband, is dead. You know that he revered the Lord. But now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me. What do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except 
a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't just ask for a few. Then go inside, shut the door behind you and your sons, pour oil into all the jars, and as each is filled, put it to one side. She left him and shut the doors behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her, and she kept pouring. You may want to underline that. She kept pouring. And when all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there's not a jar left. And then the oil stopped flowing. She went and told the man of God, and he said, go sell the oil, pay your debts. You and your sons can live on what is left. This story is as real as it could possibly be, regardless of history. Because for all of us, if it hasn't happened already, it's going to. Crisis will happen. You lose a loved one, you want the world to stop, but it doesn't. You lose a job, and you want the world to stop, but it doesn't. You lose your business, you want the world to stop, but it doesn't. You lose a house, the apartment, the lease, the tuition. You want the world to stop, but it doesn't. You lose your health, and you want the whole world to just stop for just a second and give you an opportunity to breathe, but it doesn't. You want the world to stop, and you think it should, because just like the man in the story, you love the Lord. I got news for you. You can love the Lord and still have crisis happen. And you want God to make the crisis go away, but it doesn't. And then you learn another hard lesson. You can be in the middle of your crisis and creditors don't care. Okay? The woman lost her husband. The creditors don't care. There's no such thing as four easy payments of $39.95. If you sign up for that, eventually the company's going to come and ask for its money back. That's just the way it works. They don't care. And they're coming for her boys. Do you feel that? She wants the world to stop so she can grieve, but it doesn't stop. So she runs to the local pastor and asks some questions. And what does he respond with? More questions. How can I help? How can I help? That's a good question. And then he gets nosy and he starts sticking his nose. He goes from preaching to meddling. He gets nosy and he poses a question. Here's the question that's posed. What do you have? What do you have? Now, I don't know about you, but to me, when I am in a crisis and someone comes and says, what do you have? How are you feeling? The last thing that jumps into my mind are, are these beautiful platitudes that we think we should say. Like, you know, well, I woke up this morning to a beautiful sunrise and I have breath, I have breath in my lungs and I have Jesus after all. Like, That's not the way I respond when I'm in a crisis. When I'm in a crisis and somebody asks me, what do you have? My gut level answer is this, nothing. I got nothing. We all have a natural tendency, it's human nature, to look at our lack. And she says the same thing, nothing. Some of you are like, I wouldn't do that. Yeah, I think you would. If you've ever stood in a closet full of clothes and said, I got nothing to wear, then you know exactly how this is working. If you've ever stood in a pantry with anything in it and said, I got nothing to eat, then you get this. If you've ever stood beside your car and seen a better one drive by and have asked the question, why does God love them more than me? Then you've seen this this way before. It's natural to see our lack. And she does. She sees 
her lack. She's in a desperate situation. And the situation is absolutely real. It's not fake like our closet. This is real. She's actually got nothing. But then she makes this small little realization. It's a tiny little realization. I've got nothing but a small, except a small jar of olive oil. You know, if it was me and this was all I had and God came up and said, you know, like, just like, what do you have knowing this is all I have? I don't know about you, but I'd be like putting it behind my back going, I got nothing. Because I know if God sees it, he's probably going to do something with it. And that's just going to freak me out just a little bit. I mean, it's so natural to grab a hold of what little we have because we think if we release it, then we're just completely undone. I got nothing except for this. Can I tell you something? This is all God needs. This is all God needs. God can take your little piece of whatever and do something amazing with it if you'll only trust him enough to release it. It makes me think of another Bible story, right? A group of disciples hanging out with Jesus one day and a bunch of people are following him around and Jesus says, hey guys, we should probably feed these folks. And they're like, we got nothing. We got nothing. I mean, they don't even, they don't even come up with something creative. They steal lunch from a kid, right? How uncool is that? We got nothing, Jesus. And, and they're offended when Jesus says, you feed them, Right? At least the kid gives something. What happens? Anchovy pizza for everybody around. And 12 baskets full left over. Great story. You should read it. God takes the little, the trust, and he multiplies it. I mean, but look at this. Look at this illogical trust request that's made. I want you to, to pour oil. If it was me, it'd be like, I'm not pouring anything. This is all I got. This is all I got. God says, if if you want to see the miraculous done, you're going to have to release this. Go and get some jars. Can you imagine having to do that? Knocking on your neighbor's doors. Hi, my pastor told me to collect milk jugs. I'm not exactly sure why, but you got anything for me? Think about the humility, the courage it must have taken going door to door to door all the while with the question, do I trust God with a little? Do I trust God with a little? I think I should be holding on to this. Logic would tell me I should be holding on to this. Well, the boys go and get the jars and she makes a decision to trust. You know how I know a decision is made to trust because it says she kept pouring. She kept pouring and pouring one jar after another until God gave her more than what she needed, enough to be content, a little left over, and a really, really cool miracle. So let me ask you the question. What do you have, church? And if your first response is, I got nothing. What if all you needed was trust? What if all you needed to get started in God's plan was trust? Last week, I I proposed a a little phrase. It's not new to to me or to anybody else. It's certainly not original. But we asked the question, how, how do we trust the source, not the resource? How do we practically do that? And I'm going to tell you something. I'm going to lay out for you right now God's plan, his biblical plan for stewardship. This is for all of us. It's for those who have a little and those who have a lot It applies, the principles go for everybody. And if you've got a problem with this, you do not need to write a letter to me. You should write a letter to Jesus, this is his plan, okay? All right, 
We're going to use the acrostic trust. If you've been here before, you've heard this, this is not new to you, but it's just a simple way of looking at scripture. The acrostic, the acrostic trust, okay? The T stands for this, track your finances. It's biblical. Proverbs 27 says this, be sure you know the condition of your flocks. Give careful attention to your herds, for riches do not endure forever, and a crown is not secure for all generations. The Bible says it. Know the condition of your finances. Now, unless you're a goat farmer, this one needs a little bit of interpretation, right? I think it means this, you know, pay careful attention to your flocks. You need a modern deal. Pay careful attention to your stocks, okay, however you want to put it. But you need to track it every single penny. Laurel does the finances in our family. Every Saturday afternoon, she does the same thing. In spite of her impairment, she sits down at the computer, she opens up a program, and she does the books. And because she's that kind of a person, she gets a thrill out of balancing to the penny, okay? I used to do the books in our family till I proved that I was unworthy of doing that. I used to have a financial method. It was called, if you're within 400 bucks, call it good. Some of you understand that one, okay? It was not working for the financial part of the Fishbook family. I thought it was undisciplined, then I read my Bible, and I found out it was ungodly, so Laurel took over the books. It's just good common sense to, to know what you own, what you owe, what you earn, and where it goes. It's biblical. R, return 10% to its rightful owner, okay? This is not for the faint of heart. This is God's deal. It's not my deal. It's God's deal. It's God's principle of tithing. Whenever you hear the word tithe, it just means tenth, okay? It's as simple as this. For every $100 that God allows you to earn, because I'm going to remind you what I said last week, God's the one who puts breath in your lungs, a thought in your brain, sweat on your brow, strength in your hands. He's the one that does all of that, okay? For every $100 that God allows you to earn, you give him 10 bucks back in an act of trust, why 10%? I have no idea. Maybe God likes round numbers. I don't know. I do know this, though. You still have 90. Okay? I thought somebody would say amen. Nobody ever does. All right? Not in these sermons, anyway. I mean, it all belongs to him in the first place. So he can set the number anywhere that he wants to. He has it all. It all belongs to him. He loans us to it for 80 or 90 years. And then when we're dead, it all ends up going back to him in some way, shape, or form. But that's the loan stipulation. As a good steward, that's what God wants. Malachi chapter 3, bring the whole tenth tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. I love this part. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Give it your best shot. Test me, trust me, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, you will not have room enough for it. Why would God ask us to do this? Does God need the interest? Nope. Is Jesus struggling financially? Nope. Is he just playing a game with us? Absolutely not. Let me tell you why. Tithing is an act of worship. Tithing is an act of gratitude. Tithing is, is, is a living embodiment of priorities, and more than anything, tithing is an act of trust. God wants us to trust him. That's why he says, test me. Malachi gives us the what, 1 Corinthians gives us the when. It's not in your outline, but because I'm feeling generous, I'll just share another verse with you, 1 Corinthians 16 too. On the first day of every week, each one of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up so that when I come, no collections will have to be made. Let me tell you, those of you who've been around here, you've heard me say this before. 
As a pastor for the first nine years of our ministry, I did not do this. I was completely and totally disobedient. And this is how I justified it. I justified it. I'm a pastor. God gets all of my time. He gets all of my attention. He needs to keep his fingers out of the piece of leather in my back pocket that's filled with plastic and paper. I thought that my time sacrifice was enough. I wanted God to bless us, but I was not willing to put him first in this crucial area. And then my wife found out what we were not doing, and it was not a happy day. Here's the deal. If you want God to bless you in any area of your life, you got to put him first. If you want him to bless your relationship, you got to put him first. If you want him to bless your business, you got to put him first. God does not accept leftovers. He wants first place. So God invites us to trust him. Now, some of you are biblical purists. I get this every single time. You're already rising up and saying, Pastor Grant, Pastor Grant, tithing is an Old Testament principle. I am under grace. I'm a new covenant believer. You're absolutely correct. And the grace, that grace that it took to save your soul cost Jesus everything. So if you want to start living with that kind of example, you better be prepared to give it all because the giving style of Jesus was the kind of giving style of a man who knew that he was dying. He gave everything. You want to go New Testament on me? Let's do it. Sign it all over to Jesus today. Or we might want to just start with 10 and build from there. Proverbs 3, honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, then your barns will be filled to overflowing. Your vats will brim over with new wine. Here's the you. Use good planning to gain some victory. I know we don't like it, but financial planning starts with having a good budget. I mean, if you don't have a plan for spending, you're heading for financial disaster. I mean, think about it. You build a brand new house. It's gorgeous. It's fantastic. And then you hook up the water main from the city and you run a six inch pipe in the bottom basement window, turn to the guy standing on the street and say, let her rip, fill her up with water. You'd go, that's crazy. We do that financially all the time. We hook up our paycheck to our wish list and we say, let her rip. You wouldn't do that. You would design an unbelievably intricate plumbing system to make sure that all the water ended up in the right places at the right time. Sometimes I wonder why these simple things escape us, why they escaped me for so long. Proverbs 21, verse 5, the plans of the diligent, the plans of the diligent, they lead to profit as surely as haste leads to poverty. You know, that verse is taking on one of the greatest myths in modern society. The myth is this, if I make a little bit more, then I'll be financially free. Actually, if you make a little bit more and don't have a plan for it, I promise you, you're just going to end up in a bigger hole. You know why? Because yearnings always exceed earnings. Let me say it again. Yearnings always exceed earnings. I get these emails in my box all the time. They say, come on, Grant, don't miss out. Act now. Take advantage of this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Here's a, new, here's a new product, and it's fantastic. It does all kinds of really, really cool things. And five minutes ago, you didn't even know it existed, but now that you've seen it, you know that you absolutely have to have it. They appeal in this part of our human nature that says, I, I want that. I want that. 
You know how I know this is true? When was the last time you heard an ad campaign come out and say, hey, so here's the deal. We got this really, really cool product, but before you buy it, you should probably talk to your wife about it. You should probably go home, review the family budget, make sure you've got some cash in your hand. Like before you do anything rash or stupid, just take a deep breath and then decide whether or not you need this beautiful little box that you can put your phone inside of and get rid of all of the germs, which to me sounds very appealing all of the time, okay? That's not what they say. They're just like, no, you need it now. You need it now. How did you ever live without it? You didn't even know it existed, but now how will you ever live without this? You've got to have it. Proverbs 21, 20. <laughs> Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. I didn't say that. The Bible does. That's a tough translation, isn't it? Stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. Some of us should tattoo that on our credit card hand. I'm just saying, okay? Plan your spending. Plan your spending. Here's the S, save for the future. Saving's actually biblical. Proverbs 13, 11. Dishonest money dwindles away, but he who gathers money little by little makes it grow. Some of you will know this answer because you have been with me doing stewardship series for a number of years. Every year I go and I Google this and I check it out. Once again, the most lucrative small business in the United States in 2018 was storage units. Storage units. Not coming down on storage units. If I was smart, I should have built a whole bunch of them a long, long time ago. But just think about that. We don't have room for the stuff that we already have so we have to buy extra space in order to put stuff that we never need or use. The Bible says we're supposed to save, not stockpile, just so we're clear, okay? Another article, American Demographic Magazine, said most Americans will go into retirement dead broke because they do not have the discipline of saving. Proverbs 20 21 verse 20, the wise store up choice food and oil, but fools gulp theirs down. That's good Bible. We don't like it, but it's good Bible. Here's the last T in trust, taste and savor contentment. You know, this is a part of God's plan too. I think we often overlook that. What God has blessed you with, you should enjoy it. You should enjoy it. It's a gift from God. There's nothing wrong with enjoying his blessing. I mean, if, you've, if you have a beautiful home, enjoy the beautiful home. Use it for hospitality. Use it as God's tool in your hand. Don't, don't feel bad about it. Enjoy it and utilize it for God. Here's the problem. When we start worshiping the house and it becomes our identity, then we've got a problem. Hebrews 13, verse five, keep your lives free from the love of money. Be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. Here's the bottom line. Your house will not follow you into eternity. Jesus will. Never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So as we wrap this up, um, this is what I love about this faith hero in the Old Testament. She doesn't hide what little she has behind her back. She just starts pouring can you imagine how afraid she must have been? This is all I got. And God's like, that's enough. 
If she never would have poured, she never would have experienced what happened. Can you imagine the story her and the boys were telling to the neighbors? Hey, you know those jars that you filled up? Yeah, I had this and God multiplied it. By the way, do you need any oil? I love this about this faith here. She holds nothing back and she got to literally taste and see that God was good. She went against human nature, modern logic into a realm of faith and God was faithful. God kept his promise to supply all of her need. Can we admit something? Human nature says, hold on to it. Hold on to it, hold on to it, hold on to it. But we're not interested in human nature around here. We want to develop a spiritual nature. A spiritual nature that says, if I trust and follow God's plan, God said he would look after every need that I ever had. When I was doing the books and being disobedient, we were always short. When Laurel helped our family become obedient and trust, we may not have everything that we want, but I'll tell you something, we got everything we need. And God's been faithful over and over and over again. So one closing thought, God keeps his promise to those who choose to trust him. And faithfully keep on pouring. So Christ the King, here come the questions. Are you pouring yourself out for the sake of Jesus? Are you leaving a legacy of faith that's going to last for eternity? Or are you holding on to everything you got because you just think, I just know better than Jesus does? You know, it all starts out with an act of releasing what the world says to hold on to. And the reason God asks us to do that is because you can't hold that stuff in your heart for eternity, but you can hold generosity, love, compassion, mercy, and joy for the rest of eternity. So, this is one of those messages where I finish up and I go, there you go. I don't have a nice tidy bow to put on top of it. I know some of you are uncomfortable. I know for some of you, I have, I, I have completely reinforced every stereotype you've ever had about church. Because like the one time I decided to go, I thought he'd talk about Jesus and he talked about money. Jesus talked more about money than he did heaven, hell, prayer, and faith combined because he knew what would come after our heart more than any other thing. So, now you've got to make a decision. You're going to do what I did for nine years? Search for the loophole? Or are you going to simply choose to trust with what little you have and find out whether or not God will actually keep his promise? To those of you who do this every week, wow, I don't know how to, I don't know how to say thank you to you. Some of you give out of, you give out of your need, and I'm blown away by that sacred trust. One of the favorite parts of my job is every weekend when people give back to God for the very first time, I, I get a little note card and I get an opportunity to write them and say thank you. And I usually write something like this, thank you so much for your sacred trust. We treat it as sacred and we're humbled by your partnership with us. 
Thank you for loving us and trusting us. For the name of Jesus and for his good sake in Whatcom County. So for those of you who already do this, thank you. For those of you that are still trying to figure that out, my, my challenge to you is to really look at, am I really willing to trust God or not? And I know it's not easy. But I also know there's a great story in the Bible about a woman who took a huge risk. And boy, did she have a story to tell when she trusted him with a little. Would you pray with me as we close tonight? God, thank you for this moment and thank you for an opportunity to come together. I thank you for my brothers and my sisters in this room. God, I thank you for their incredible generosity and Lord, may it continue to flow as we seek to impact not only Whatcom County but around the world. So Lord Jesus, we love you. We thank you for an opportunity to trust you again today. God, may this all be done for your glory and for your name. I pray this in Jesus' powerful name, amen. Thanks again for watching. We're so glad that you joined us today. Once again, we hope you'll get involved in biblical face-to-face -face community wherever you happen to be today. If you'd like more information about Christ the King Community Church, if you'd like to give online, or if you'd like to submit a prayer request, or even get connected in a small group, you can find out more about us at ctk.church.